0: And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.
1: Hi, this is James Shokin, host of webcomics, reviews, and interviews. Tonight, we're looking at time and language. So sit back, relax, and let the geek fest begin. When you start getting into the hardcore world of building, you're going to start wanting to deal with some really interesting concepts and a lot of those the really weird concepts are in the area of the culture that is what kind of scale of time does the group have you know what holidays are important to them are they still basically set up on like earth time where we're we're still coming out of basically an agricultural era so we're still basically worried about times when you lay down the crops and when you harvest them I mean seriously, you bet you can't name a single Earth culture where they have some major holidays in spring that are you know involving life and rebirth and you know things coming out of the ground versus say you know harvest time when you well are picking up the crops and where things are basically going into the ground. You know we have a lot of death-based holidays in the fall. What would happen though if we had a group that was so technological based that they no longer had any idea about the agricultural aspects out in you know, all of extremely general like concepts, you know, what kind? Of, and on top of that, and we're still dealing with people that have our basic same sense of time. You know, I'm European. I have no problem dealing with minutes and seconds because. You know, I have a lot of stuff that I build schedules around. You know, it's not that... It's actually sort of difficult for me not to look at a TV schedule every so often and plan when I'll be watching that night. And that's even with the event of a DVR. What happens if you have a, a society that's based on... Let's say we had a group of immortal trees. Would they deal with even so much as, you know, would they even deal with our minutes and seconds, how about hours would they even deal with days beyond you know, this is sun this is night would they deal with anything earlier than say a month, heck how about a season odds are they'd have one that's more based on terms of years decades, generations even millennia, you know a culture is defined on how it perceives time in a lot of ways On top of that, there's language in general. You can tell a lot about society by what kind of level of language use they have. Compare say, you know, nowadays where we're pretty much blunt as far as what we're trying to get across. You know, if I want, straight up, if I want insurance, I'll be saying straight up, how do I acquire insurance? This is supposed to say Vikings who had a very flowery language. And then you basically have to allow for some interesting cultural issues. For example, Japan actually has a verb tense that's based off of nothing but honorifics. And that's perfectly fine for Japan. It's based a lot on face. So, you know, when we start looking at a lot of the cultural fun, we not only have to look at how they use language, but it also helps us figure out what's important to that person. And of course we can also, looking in more general terms, tell not only where that person is from, but also where a little bit of history of where that person's group comes from. I mean, when we start looking at people looking at Africa coming from Africa, it's not just because we have you know anthropological proof there but we also have cultural proof in the fact that we have a lot of languages that have a lot of similarities. We call them Indo-European. And they include a lot of languages. And we can actually backtrack a lot of our languages all the way back to Africa in terms of mapping them in terms of the years. So, in short, language can tell a lot about a person as well as that person's group. As such, when we look start looking at hardcore world building, it's not necessarily a bad idea to start looking at how they tell time and, in a more general sense, how they talk. Before you get going on what exactly units of time you actually use, take a step back and see if they're actually important to the group in question. I'm sort of pointing this out because, well, I'm European, obviously. I sort of point that out because it means that when I start looking at time, you know, I, there's a lot of times they use actual, you know, this is on at this time as an actual, or this is happening at this time as something that's actually important. We're looking at bus schedules, for example. You know, every, more, every time I have to go to a nearby town, I know that I have to catch a bus at, you know, five minutes till the hour. If I'm there later than that, odds are I miss the bus. You know? If I'm looking at, you know, scheduling my evenings entertainment, you know, on the TV, all of a sudden, looking at, you know, visualizing that particular time is going to be all sorts of important. And yeah, there are certain shows that aggravate me because they're consistently running a little bit over. You know? Even in DVR, it's still important to have a general idea of how to work a schedule. Also, when you're ta- looking at scientific development, well, look at how much stuff you know, we measure in terms of, say, even nanoseconds. We have a lot of stuff that's in very, very small periods of time. And if we start dealing with comic book geekdom, it gets even smaller. I mean, we actually have attoseconds being thrown around. All because of how, you know, just to describe how Flash does some of the stuff he does. On the flip side, you know, there's this thing called Brazilian time I keep hearing about. You know, it's, if you're from Brazil, supposedly you're not so, you're a lot more laid back on terms of how you look at time. Same with Islanders, same with a lot of people around the, the equator, you know. If you say 9 o'clock in the morning, hey, you're going to be showing up sometime before noon. If you say noonish, you know, sometime around lunch. Could even be early afternoon, you know, so on and so forth. They're just a lot more laid back in time, and in that regard, even though the people themselves may know what minutes and seconds are, those just aren't very useful concepts for the culture in general. And yeah, I'm probably going to be ticking off somebody somewhere. But, let's say we start dealing with um, a hypothetical group of immortal trees. You know? At that point, you've got to really question just are, you know, minutes, seconds, even hours, really all that really an important time for them. Heck, even will day even, even be important to that type of group, you know? I mean, at that point, we're starting to look more at seasons are becoming more important and probably looking more at decades or even centuries are going to be more or less their medium period of time. Anything shorter than that really doesn't matter to them. On the flip side, they may deal with incredibly long periods of time. You know, whatever happens to be meaningful to that particular culture. You know, obviously if we're looking at, say, a fantasy realm... You know, at that point we're going to be on so-called Brazil time. You know, it's not important that you show up at precisely 9.37 in the morning just so long as you're there sometime in the morning. You know, showing up late really isn't going to be all that important. Aggravating, sure, because you don't want to keep other people waiting, especially if they're a lot more powerful than you are and they don't mind killing people, you know? Comedy, whatever you need to make things funny. But on the flip side, if you're dealing with somebody who's a lot more technological advanced, at that point you're going to get beginning down into some very detailed time systems. All I'm saying is that when you start defining your periods of time, look at what is going to be a very short period of time for that particular group. For most of us, we're looking at, you know, seconds short stuff that's going to be sort of important but definitely going to be something worth tracking minutes for example you're going to want something that's a little bit more medium this is where we start getting into hours when we start looking at long periods of time days weeks even months and of course when we start looking at extremely long periods of time you know we're looking at years decades, generations, centuries, millennia you generally get the idea really quick in essence you're trying to figure out what period of time you're going to need to break it down for your particular group in order to work well and you can then, after that you're going to have to figure out what to call them I mean you've got lots of choices Bowstar Galactica for example and Farscape are two really good ones Work. It's really fun, of course, when you start having to define things in terms of cultural issues. With Farscape, for example, it wasn't just important to break the time down into measurable amounts, but also to break it down so they could be more applied to a more universal scale. That is, the Peacekeepers didn't just have to worry about their one little culture, but they also had to worry about spending this across the galaxy, or at least attempting to as such they had to define those periods of time pretty well and so that way everybody could be on the same basic time measurements this of course gets really weird in a lot of places because well you've got a lot of places where time is all sorts of wonkers but in general you have to sort of keep in mind that when we start looking at the cultural aspects of time not only are we looking at what periods of time are relevant to the particular group, but also why they have to set those particular situations in mind. And with Peacekeepers, we definitely have to keep in mind that they are applying this on a universal scale so that or even, you know, even the Federation. You know, those, that, those star dates they give out, they have to be more of a universal time rather than tied to a specific planet. So, Relative to that, you're going to be wanting to figure out either if you want to go strictly you know, like we do with um Earth time, which is where we define the day of the month the month and the year or shifting all that into a particular numerical unit like star date time so which is a little bit weird, but just trust me when you start playing around with period of time, you're gonna to want to know how to market as much so much as to measure it. I mean anybody can measure a second, but we also have to keep it in mind. Brain
0: fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but many health understands that for women over 40 they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.
1: When we start measuring this stuff and we start comparing it to other people, we have to have some way of comparing it to what other people know. So yeah, when you start defining exactly what time... So when you start defining exactly what your units are, also keep in mind that you also have to figure out a way how to mark that time. It's, you know, it just goes hand in hand. Particularly as a character note, how a character measures time is going to be sort of interesting and defines a lot about that person as well. Consider European versus American ways of measuring, I'm oh, sorry, of marking dates. Uh, most Europeans will do the day of the month the month and then the year versus the American which is to do the month the day and uh, the year and I'm sure somewhere out there there's somebody who does the year first, then the month, then the day or some other method that's fine, like I said it's just going to tell you a lot about that person alright, next up Now you've got everything, now you know how you're basically measuring and marking time. Let's look at seasons. When we start looking at seasons, we're not necessarily talking about the astronomical ones. You know, summer, spring, winter, fall. Just to mess with you. You'll notice I get it reversed. But, we're also looking at, depending on the culture, we could also be looking at migratory schedules. If we're dealing with a group of cetaceans, for example, they're going to obviously not necessarily look at in terms of seasons the way everybody else does. They're going to look at seasons in terms of when they have to migrate from one area to another. You know? They would do summer off of California, go up north during the spring, they could be back down to the other side of the earth by winter, you know it's just they're not defining it in terms of because they are migratory animals, they're not necessarily going to define it in terms of straight astrological, or sorry astronomical seasons like the rest of us would. Um. And again, I to point out that we have a lot of stuff that we do in terms of agriculture. You know, there's entirely possible that a group could measure things in terms of how they have to grow their plants. You know, they know this season is the a very short season, would be the initial growing season, possibly even defined as the first growing season. Then they'd have a second growing season, or where they have to maintain the plants. They'd have a harvest season, and then they would have a fallow season. I mean, obviously it's going to be a little analogous to how we would think of astronomical seasons, but it doesn't necessarily mean that their seasons are going to be defined by where the sun is at a particular point. Rather, it's going to be looking at, you know, what kind of temperature the place has gotten to. And these are not always consistent year to year. You know, we know as when we start looking at actual historical records and all that, we start noticing that you know, winter has not always been the same amount of time even if we consider, say December, January, and February the be winter months it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with anything actually on the planet you know, we could have, be having incredibly gorgeous summer weather starting in February or for that matter not having to deal with snow at all just because we call them the winners of months doesn't necessarily mean they have to have applied anything real. And if we're dealing with a group that's wholly based on an agricultural situation, you know, they're gonna be worried more about the practical than the theoretical. You know what I mean? And then of course, if we're really talking weird, some races probably wouldn't even worry about the astrological or the agricultural so much as well as their personal breeding seasons. Obviously, I'm not referring specifically to you know, defining a breeding season as this is the season where we breed, but throughout the entire year. Or for that matter, group of years. You know, if you know I'm looking at a group of cats in the wild and a lot of a lot of mammals and a lot of other um, groups can only breed during particular times of the year, especially if we're talking plants. so if we're dealing with a group of plants that's based off of say a perennial concept but they still have to worry about you know days and months type of deal, then odds are they're going to be worried about you know stuff when. They can start spreading their seed when they have to protect their young plants as they grow up, and even to a certain degree when they have to go dormant. All of that would technically be a breeding season, you know. However, I'm just trying to point out that when it comes down to defining the seasons, you don't have to be stuck in the usual, you know, winter, spring, summer, fall. Situation. You can have a lot of fun And define your seasons as you need to To better define your cultures Just an interesting Something to play around with And of course while you're dealing with All these big time issues You know you're Going to be dealing with I just realized Let's throw an academic in there Just to be really obnoxious Obviously, if you have some of these, you know, if you have an academic type of situation, you know, we're talking students or we're talking teachers, let's get real. How many of us define the year, at least in terms of seasons, when it came down to what was going on at school? You know, we define football season was normally what we think of as fall because the big highlight would basically be the football games and the initial dances winter, lots of holidays, a lot more laid back, but also a lot more intense because of the, the tests and all that are going on, spring, you know, we more of thinking of a baseball season more than we would the street, straight, linear, you know, astrological, spring months, at that point we're looking more at, you know, like I said, Stuff like baseball, where we're looking at... We're just starting to get back into being more physical. You know, distractions and due, distractions due to romance, that sort of thing. And, of course, having a summer off. So, again, we have sort of an academic thing more than an astrate, astronomical thing. Just something to think about. When it comes to holidays, things get all sorts of weird. Um... Obviously, you're looking at stuff like seasonal. Have you ever noticed how there's not a whole lot of, of holidays during the summer? That's because there's not really a whole lot of reason to be, you know, a lot of holidays during the summer. We want to get away, far away from everybody else if we possibly can and just go off and do our own thing as much as possible because we know we're going to be back when it gets a lot colder. Holidays bringing us together. So, obviously... During the months we don't want to be around the people. Hey, have you noticed there's not a whole lot of holidays during the summer? But when we do get together all of a sudden we see a whole lot of holidays and when you start seeing important things that have to happen during those particular areas there's a lot of applicable holidays. Again, holidays tend to bring people together and that's something you need to keep in mind when it comes to your cultures. When When does your culture need to come together? And think about this for a sec biggest social holiday of the year are harvest you know Halloween which used to be basically when everybody got together to get the harvest done and over with major holiday major group major event Christmas or whatever you want to call the summer or sorry the winter solstice event. You know, we've got a lot of people that have just a couple months ago gotten together, done something major. All of a sudden, we need not a bad idea to get together a couple months later to get stock of each situation. Maybe have a little bit of a holiday to set off against the gloom. And, you know, it's just a great time to get everybody together. And it's definitely going to have some interesting issues if we're talking a farming community because it is the shortest day of the year wouldn't it be sort of cool to say hey we already survived the shortest day of the year together so we're expecting a whole new year spring oh yeah we definitely want to get together during the spring you have all the romantic issues you've had people that have been stuck in their houses for a couple of months all of a sudden they want to get out they want to meet people and not necessarily for business related issues. There there's some definite romance in the air. And notice how we've got a couple of holidays in the fall, a couple during the winter, usually legal type stuff. And then we have a ridiculous number of holidays once that spring hits. So yeah, and have you noticed that fall we need to be together? winter we sort of want to get together and spring oh they definitely want to get together so you know those are our seasonal holidays throw into that we'll also have religious holidays you know these are usually sprinkled throughout the year that observes certain details and if you want to we can also point out that they're also historical as well I mean we're just talking basically arbitrary days that everybody gets together and does a little bit of a celebration or only groups of people get together to celebrate you know and America July 4th is definitely an area of people to get together to celebrate but it's just it's totally arbitrary same with the President's Holidays as well as a few other incredible celebrities like Martin Luther King Day we're still debate, we're still working out Columbus Day, but you get the idea. There's a lot of days where people just simply get together because, well, they traditionally got together. Then they're not major holidays, they're they're still sort of important. And if we're looking at religions, well, consider Passover for you know Christians and Jews. You've got the month of Ramadan for Muslims. And, you know, you generally see a lot of celebrating throughout the year in terms of straight religion. All of this is actually sort of pretty cool, and there's actually reasons for it. So it's just sort of interesting, you know, check out Ramadan. It's usually during a period of time when people can get away with, you know, not having to worry about hunger. I mean, it's basically a month of fasting. So, of course, it's going to be during the month when we don't really
0: That's join M-I-D-I Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain.
1: or for that matter people attacking us can you imagine what would happen if you decided to go after a group that was fasting during the day of course once night hit you would pretty much be against some frenzied rushing but you know it's just when you start looking at the holidays try to key them into something that's either of cultural significance or there's strategic reasons for doing so again harvest great time to get people together because you need a lot of bodies to get those plants off the ground as quickly as possible spring you want a lot of bodies together okay so first off you're going to want to get together just to plant the seeds but once that's done hey you're going to want to do a lot of romancing and of course if you have an area where people just simply don't want to be together like during the summer you're also not going to see a lot of holidays during that particular season again just weirdness but you know this applies to a lot of major events as well you know if you've got a group of dwarves that is trying to celebrate Moradin's birthday obviously that's going to be a major get together um elves and their archery contests <laughs> the real you know there's a bigger stereotype it's not that hard to see that else we get together during time and you know the weather is incredible and declare a holiday that they basically just start shooting off against each other? Trees, obviously, there's going to be a lot of holidays set up. You know, when they all okay, so trees don't usually tend to get together a whole lot, but if they did, they'd probably choose something that was hot weather, lots of sunshine or at the other extremes, they needed to get together for defense you know obviously winter is going to be a big thing. Just consider whenever you start setting up your holidays there has to be a cultural reason for that particular holiday. Also if your group is known for doing war during the summer and there's virtually no, no war during, or fights during the winter well obviously you'll have a lot of war type of holidays during the summer and not so much during the winter. It's just, you know... You've got to look at your culture and define the holidays depending on when they have important things going on. In short... When it comes down to your time, figure out something where you're going... Some sort of measuring a marketing system that's important to the, to the culture. And keep in mind cultural issues. Um, seasons. Don't be afraid to ignore the astronomical seasons and define your seasons however works best for your particular culture. And last but not least, if you're going to define holidays, they're going to come down to areas or days of the month or sorry days of the year when you need to get a lot of people together, when people want to get together, and just important dates throughout the calendar. And just have some sort of... I guess I better go back on measuring marking for just a sec because you're going to basically want to figure out if you do happen to clump them into bigger groups like we do with, say, weekdays and months, you're going to want to figure out some sort of naming strategy. In Europe, we tend to default to, for some strange reason, Viking days of the week and Latin month names. Go for a year. but you don't have to do that. You don't have to name it after particular groups be on or their line of emperors, but just whatever tends to work for you. Um, a lot of fantasy calendars, for example, tend to name them the you know do real boring first day, second day, third day, whatever. And when it comes to month, the month usually describes what usually happens during that month. You know, this is a month of rain. Because for the next 30 days, we will be getting nothing but rain. The month of wonders. Because lots of weird magical stuff happens. Ye get the idea. Yeah, like you didn't think I was going to cover that for some reason. But just have fun with how you name your weeks and how you define, or sorry, how you define your weekday and how you define your months. And if you want to define your years and give them really fun names, try to think of something that actually works for naming them. But that should cover you as far as time. When it comes to languages, alright, first off, before we get going, let's define some terms. Just so we're on the same page more than because I know I'm going to give you the exact right term for this language family these are families that are closely linked and we're not just talking like say your Euro- indo-european languages where it's a general classification but romance languages for example um language is a group as a language talked by or spoken by a particular group it has dialects and it has accents accents are usually geographical based, but generally speaking, they're how a, if you have speaker A, speaker B, and they both say the exact same word, we're looking at how the difference between the two words is said. The American aluminum versus the British aluminium, for example. And that's as far as I'm going to try to go. As far as that goes, dialect are Essentially, two languages spoken in the same basic language, but they may have differences. If you're American, you know the difference between, say, I uh, going with abonics just because everybody has, you know, better feel for abonics than aave. Um, we're also looking at Val speak from the eighties, surfer lingo. You know the difference between say, somebody from Georgia and somebody from Oregon. They're speaking the same language, the same basic, but they they have certain words and certain issues that are entirely different. If you really want to see an interesting idea as far as dialects go, look at pop versus soda. In essence, it's the same language, slightly different words, slightly different concepts. And like I said, accent is just spoken differently same words usually it's just the pronunciation gets all sorts of wonk what you're going to do is when you start playing around with languages is that it's going to get all sorts of words really quick and I mean really really weird, really really quick different groups are going to emphasize different words I mean there's always the you know You've got the Inuit tribe and there's supposed you know, 50 something different words for snow and ice. Yeah, I know it's a more urban legend than anything else, but the key here is that supposedly because snow and ice are so important to them that they basically differentiate into a lot of different ways. In fact a lot of those words have infiltrated over to regular English and it really helped in a lot of weird ways. If you have a group that's heavily into fish, then they're probably going to have a lot of different names for pretty much every fish that's out there and break down the body parts pretty much the same way. I have no doubt that if we had a group that, you know, there's a group that breaks down sunny days pretty much the same way. It's just not a clear sunny day. It's a hot, clear, sunny day or a sully hazy, sunny day. You get the idea. Whatever you define as important is going to have a lot of expressions relative to that in the language. Conversely, stuff that's not so important, probably not. If you have a group, for example, that doesn't have to worry about snow, they're probably going to have one or two words for it, and that's as far as their concern is good. It's not something they encounter on an even yearly basis, so why should they really have a name for it? And at this point, I'm purposely going to be starting making fun of the English. And this time around, it has nothing to do with the fact that I'm an American. It's just because, well, English has a lot of weirdness as far as languages go. That, if you're really interested in breaking down languages, you need to start looking at. Uh, let me back up half a step and go to Japan for a second. Um, Japan is sort of interesting because they have an entire verb tense of how to deal with different people in terms of If you deal with somebody who's higher in the state than you in terms of status, you use that verb tense If you have somebody who's lower than you are, you have that verb tense Which makes sense because Japan is heavily stratified in terms of economic status So it sort of makes sense that the language would be stratified as well just to show you some of the weird, one of the weird ways you can do with English, or sorry, you can have with English. All right, back to England. Hmm, debating. Let me do one more stop off because when we get going on England, that's just going to be full bore. Uh, Viking language is worth noting because they have a lot of what they call kinnings, and while you see a lot of these in other languages. Well, with Vikings, you pretty much had the entire language was built off of them. What you're looking at is that you have a lot of metaphorical words that basically stand in for other words and tend to represent themselves a lot in the art. Vikings were well known for their incredibly long poems, the Eddas, and because of that they also had a ridiculous number of ways of expressing themselves on things. The sea, for example, wasn't just the sea or the ocean, it was also the well's road. Um, Knives and swords were, you know, uh, teeth and fangs, as well as claws were occasionally used. It's just that you had all these really great metaphors for pretty pretty much everything and that expressed themselves into it. If you're trying to basically have somebody who's really flowery with their language and has a lot of artistic and creative spirit you might want to look into using a lot of kinnings it's going to aggravate your readers may even tick off your other characters but it's a really fun way of just having fun with it alright now we get to have fun with England and by England I don't mean England I mean the United Kingdom my apologies for that What you're going to find out is on that particular island group of nations that there's a lot of weirdness as far as the language goes. Not only do you have, you know, languages that are slightly different, just slightly different, that you actually need a translator. For this, I will point you out to the classic scene from Superfuzz, where you've got one person translating into Welsh, or sorry, translating from the Welsh to another language and then into English. And you actually need a translator. Even though Welsh is pretty much of just a variation of Brit- British. You've got some really old tongues in the area. You've got Gaelic, for example. Um, which is its own language. It actually predates... You know it predates roman times british was actually not brought into it until it was actually more a byproduct of germanic and latin to a lot to a certain degree so you actually had some languages that were already here and then got mixed into it and it just gets all sorts of weird but like i said you've got all these different dialects that are just far enough apart from the main English France that you need actual translators like Welsh. You've got languages that are older and just do all sorts of weirdness with the Gaelic. And that's before we start looking at the social economic status. You know, There's no way you're going to confuse somebody who speaks Cockney, which is pretty much the lower class English, versus high English which is spoke by the nobles in the the crust gets to a point where you sometimes actually do need a translator but you can get general gist it's not just an accent you know of course obviously that's a good part of it making these a little bit more interesting is that you then have specialist languages We're looking at your cants We're looking at your jargon If we You've got With cant It's sort of a really weird one Because it's an ultra specialist language That while it has a lot of Jargonistic ac- uh, A lot of jargonistic Aspects to it It also has a lot of More general thing And becomes it's own weird language albeit Really specialized On uh, Dungeons and Dragons We have a thing called a thieves cant that is spoken specifically by thieves and describes is something like a couple hundred words of situations that deal specifically with thieves yeah we actually it's actually derived from the way a lot of the, the underworld is supposed to speak stereotypically yeah but you know all the way to if we were talking to a medical doctor They're not just going to simply say you've got a headache. They're actually going to break it down a lot more than that and call headaches different things, depending on how it breaks down. Mechanics, the same basic difference. You know, seeing isn't just a spanner or a wrench. It's, you know, they're going to detail out what the wrench is actually used for, plus its size. You know, you're talking, on top of that, they're not just going to talk, take, you know, you rotate something, you're going to torque it. generalist rule is is that when you get a group of people together, they're going to specialize in language relative to their particular use. When you start dealing with your cans, your jargons, so on and so forth, again, it's another way of defining a particular culture, just as much as cockney or high English is going to define an Englishman. If you have somebody who's going to be heavy into fixing things, they're going to have very specific language. Remember what I said earlier, that the more important something is, the more words you're going to have to it? Well, when you start dealing with somebody who's talking in a jargonistic language, yeah, you're going to find out that there's 57 words for wrench in like two seconds flat. Alright, so let's go a little bit old school, specifically English history. As English became a lot more infamous, or a lot more famous across dealing with different areas, well, you all of a sudden got a lot of weird little dialects called Pidgin. All Pidgin is, is a mix of two different languages that are created for a specific use of uh, communication. That is, while the two languages pretty much stay separate, they have just enough joining that a speaker of the pigeon can get his point across to somebody who speaks the other language. The reigning example, as far as pigeon goes, is Swahili, which was created specifically by the Dutch traders. I'm always going to get this one wrong, but it was created by this Dutch trailer so they could basically deal with the African tribes as they met them. Eventually, this would become their own, become, well, a trade language of the African tribes and take on certain aspects of its own. But the bottom line is, Swahili is ultimately a pidgin language between Dutch and African. Um, It was just created because, well, obviously the Dutch would have a major problem communicating in the African language, which was pretty much clicks and whistles at the time. And you notice the same thing, though, when you start going over to the Pacific because you all of a sudden have a lot of people that are, you know, speaking a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and not really speaking a whole lot of both. Pigeon is really great for getting basically the point across, but may not be able to hold, you know, it's not a complete language. That is, it doesn't deal well with metaphorical concepts in other words it probably isn't going to be able to describe a sunset very well but if you need to basically figure out how many fish you're trading for how many coconuts not a problem so the basic gist here is and and you, you basically get the idea when you start looking at any particular group you're going to see a lot of weirdness You're going to see dialects that sometimes need some serious translating in and of themselves as far as the main tongue goes. You're going to have people that are speaking different tongues because, well, the social status has evolved over time. English is obviously not as advanced as, say, Japan is, but that's because in Japan, you had a reason for those stratifications to exist. That is, you had a group of untouchables, you had a group of lower class, you had the middle class such as it was and then you had the ruling class and none of them pretty much wanted to deal with, do anything with the other so it makes sort of sense that there would be some stratification in the language as well but every language has that Japan just simply takes it to another level with having different actual verb tenses depending on who you're dealing with Again, compare Cockney with High English. Um, over time, certain areas are going to develop their own languages. They're important based, based on what's important to that particular group. And over time, these languages may diverge enough that, well, you need a translator. Again, Welsh and regular, Brit, regular English. Um... You know, you see evolution of language happen all the time. It's slowed down a little bit thanks to the printing press, as well as TV to a certain degree. But trust me, there's still a lot of evolution going on. If you really want to see somebody go a little bit on the deep board, find somebody who goes with the old Latin definition of uh, decimate versus the more modern version of decimate. Yeah, I know, changing over languages, definitions is more of the, a little bit of it. But, yeah, you know, you get the idea. You're going to have language will evolve. And between different groups, it will could be more and more focused based on what's important to that particular group. What this means to you as a writer, obviously, is that you can define a person better by making their language a lot more unique to that particular individual, that particular person's, very specific culture so just because character A and character B are both speaking perfectly fine English they may not be able to communicate with each other because their outlook is so specialized which means that you as a writer have to figure out a way to either find common ground or a translator which can get in of itself which can make things all sorts of fun in and of itself it's so basically just when it comes to language and defining languages is that where you can basically have all sorts of fun in terms of defining verbs, predicates, conjunctions, and so on and so forth. We're not interested in that. If you want to do that kind of stuff, go take a class on linguistics. What's important for our purposes is that we're looking at a way how to define a person. How that person measures time helps define that person more than knowing precisely how much you know, a second or a minute is. Yeah, I know the scientific definition of both of those. It doesn't mean, however, that I'm going to use them in everyday language. Um, You know, they just, those specific definitions relative to our conversation as far as defining culture don't really hold all that much importance. Just realizing when you start defining language between your two characters, that if you are going to create your own language for each individual group, that each group will tend to focus in on what's important to that particular group. And over time, languages, even areas that are relatively close to each other, will evolve to be entirely different over a great period of time. You know, you can either have these a big group, a big uh, gorge as, say, English and Welsh. Or, for that matter, if you really want to throw things weird, throw in some Gaelic. We know Gaelic actually predates everybody else as far as that particular island goes. But, hey. You know, and it's just... So, you could actually have a group that's been in the area for a ridiculous amount of time. And now, all of a sudden... Somebody's actually interested in trying to talk that language for whatever reason. So, this creates its own conflicts because obviously you're going to need to figure out how to translate. You know, if you're trying to solve a riddle that's put into ancient Siberian, you're going to have to figure out a way to learn some ancient Siberian. And you get some general gist. Just figure out what's important to the person, and that'll help you define how they tell time and how they talk. Sometimes poorly, as I'm doing today. But you know, it's just something to have fun with. It'll help, really helps, define your character when you can tell the difference between, say, a scientist person and somebody who's off the street, because one of them's talking in high tech jargon and one of them's talking in hardcore Cockney. And it'll drive people crazy, but hey, it'll help you as a writer better differentiate between those two. And once you've differentiated between the two, it's going to be incredible stuff when it actually comes out writing. So, have fun with it, and have a good day.
0: What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission.